Welcome to the Word Encounter episode 242, where today we will finish up the book of Galatians. Uh, we dropped off in chapter 3 yesterday, so let's pick it up in chapter 4. Well, let's go to the end of chapter 3, just to remind ourselves. It says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you all uh, are one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And so, in order to qualify oneself to be heirs of the promise of Abraham, all one has to do is be in Christ. And so Paul goes, goes on in chapter four and he says, now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from slave, though he is the owner of everything. And so what Paul is saying is that <clears throat> as a child, you know, you basically are, are still under the, the, the leadership and guidance of those older than you as they raise you. And so basically you're no different than a slave or servant. A servant is probably a better translation uh, as opposed to slave, because when we say the word slave, we have certain ideas of what that means. Uh, and that didn't necessarily translate into what a slave was in those days. And so, um, uh, so servant is probably a better translation. So it says now, uh, I say that as long as there, as long as the heir is a child, as long as you're young, he differs in no way from a servant, though he is the owner of everything. So the heir is eventually going to be the owner of everything. But as a youngster, as a child, okay, they're really no different than a servant because they still have to do everything that they're told to do. In verse 2, it says, Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we uh, were in slavery under the elements of the world. And so Paul is saying that when we were children, we were we were under the law. We were under the slavery of the law. That That's what Paul is trying to get across. In verse 4, he says, uh, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, but we have a say in this, right? I mean, we have to comply. We have a say in this. And so it says that we might receive adoption as sons, through Jesus. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba meaning my father. And so, and because we are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So into our hearts comes the spirit, my father. When we recognize Jesus, we have this, this, this inner reckoning, my father. And then it says, verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then God has made you an heir. You see? And so <clears throat> with my own children, you know, I don't want to enslave my own children. My own children are my heirs. And so God looks on us the same way. Those who recognize his son, he looks on us in the same fashion. We are no longer slaves, but heirs. Heirs of what? Heirs to the promise. And then it says, Paul's concern for the Galatians in verse 8. He says, but in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that were by nature, not God's. See, he says, in the past, you were enslaved to things that weren't God's. You were enslaved to either idols or you were enslaved to the law. You know, you were enslaved to things that were not God's. He says, but now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, I, maybe I'm making too big of a deal of this, but I think that's a critical distinction. It says, but now since you know God, or rather, have become known by God. So you can know somebody, but somebody doesn't know you, right? 
And so Paul is saying, and now since you know God already, no, no, no. Because God knows you, you have become known by God. You know, you have, you have uh, agreed to his terms, if you will. You have, you have um, submitted yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He says, or rather have become known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? So Paul is, remember, Paul is, 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 is in battle with this, uh, the Judaizers who were uh, promoting the law or who were promoting adherence to the law in addition to recognizing Jesus in order to be fully Christian, if you will. Okay. And so Paul is at war with this mindset of still being enslaved to the law. You're, you just kind of add Jesus on to the other stuff. And, and Paul is trying to get across, no, 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 Jesus supersedes everything. And see, and they just kind of wanted to add Jesus on. And so uh, he says, do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You know, it didn't work for hundreds of years being enslaved to the law. Here comes Jesus to free us from the law, yet you still want to bind people to the law. And then it says in verse 10, he says, you are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. And so what Paul is saying is, look, you're still observing the festivals of the past and, and, and whatnot. And so, like, this could call into question some of the things that we do today with regard to Christmas and maybe Easter and some other things. But the, the issue is there's a difference between recognition and, there's, uh, and, 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 and demands, if you will. There's a difference between recognizing something and requiring something. And so if you are requiring something to be in good standing with the Lord, like observing special days, months, seasons, and years, which is what Paul is talking about, then you're equating those things to the death on the cross of Jesus. See? And, and no, we, we don't equate those things. You know, we, you, you don't have to observe Christmas in order to be a Bible-believing Christian. You know, you don't have to observe Easter in order to have Jesus as your Lord. So you don't have to observe these special days where as they were requiring it. Okay. And so then in verse 11, he says, I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. So let's drop down here. Sarah and Hagar, two covenants. So Paul is going to give an analogy. Okay. Between uh, a faith in Jesus and the law and, and between Hagar and Sarah, he's going to give an analogy. He says in verse 21, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born through the promise. These things were being taken figuratively. For the, woman, uh, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai and Abraham corresponding to the present day Jerusalem. So what Paul is saying is that Hagar represents um, the law. She represents the present day Jerusalem. OK, for she is in slavery with her children. It says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above, but the Jerusalem from heaven. See, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is under our mother. This is represented by Sarah. And then it says in verse 27, for it is written, rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many. 
more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. And so Paul is quoting from Isaiah uh, to give them, for those in the law, they should be familiar with the law, so they should be familiar with this analogy. He goes on to say, verse 28, now you too, uh, brothers and sisters, are like Isaac. See, children of the promise. You're like Isaac. You're like from Sarah. You're not like uh, Ishmael from Hagar. It says here, but just as this child was born as a result of the flesh, persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also are you. In other words, what, what Paul is saying is, look, Hagar used to kind of mock Sarah because Hagar had a child by her husband and Sarah did not. And so Hagar would mock Sarah. And it says, just as when the child was born as a result of the flesh, so Ishmael was born of Hagar as a result of the flesh, okay, because it was Sarah's idea. And so Sarah put, puts forth this idea, so this idea comes from the flesh. God's idea was for Sarah to have a child, but she didn't believe it because she felt she was too old and it wasn't going to happen, so she didn't believe. Neither did Abraham, for that fact. And so, <clears throat> and so the child comes forth from Hagar. That's the child of the flesh. And, and, and so Hagar of the flesh, uh, who gave birth to the child of the flesh, was persecuting, if you were Sarah. So this is analogous uh, to the uh, Judaizers persecuting the Gentile Christians with regard to them insisting that they adhere to Jewish custom with regard to circumcision. And so this is, this is what this is all about, them insisting that they get circumcised in order to be true Christians. And Paul is coming against that notion. He says in verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of a free woman. And so the analogy here, well, let me just finish. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. So what Paul is saying here is that, look, uh, the, the promise represented by um, uh, the birth of Jesus and belief in Jesus and that being sufficient, you know, the, the death, uh, burial and resurrection of, of Jesus, the belief in that, that being sufficient for everything, you know, the, 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 the ultimate sacrifice for all sin, past and present and future, um, that is being um, positioned against the law. Okay. And so what, the, what Paul is saying is here is that uh, the new covenant drives out the old covenant, drives out the slavery demanded by the old covenant. See, so they can't coexist in the same place. You can't have both. It's an either or. Either you adhere to the law or you are free in the new covenant of Jesus, one or the other. They were trying to make it both. <clears throat> Let's go on to chapter five. Freedom of the Christian. It says on uh, verse one, for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, so once you agree uh, and, and once you believe in Christ, then you have to turn loose of this adherence to the law with regard to your allegiance to the law, if you will, okay, as being um, mandatory, you know, for those to be in right standing with Jesus. You cannot demand that the males be circumcised in order to be in right standing with Jesus. This is Paul's take. He's, he's, he's on this bent for several, in several different regions of the, of the territories of the Middle East because a lot of the Jewish Christians were carrying that forth. And so he's in, this is one of his main battles that he's going through as he's trying to establish Christianity through the region. Verse two, it says, take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. 
So what is he saying? He's saying, if you get yourself circumcised because you believe that you have to get circumcised in order to come into the family of God, then Jesus is not going to benefit you at all. It says again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. So Paul is saying, look, okay, if you want to go down this, this trail, if you want to insist that people be circumcised in order to be in right standing with Jesus, then you have to adhere to the entire law 100% of the time. You're not free at all then. There's no freedom of Christ if, if that's the case. Then it says in verse 7, it says, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. He goes even further. He says, you're alienated. You, if, if you're trying to be justified by the law, you're pushed away from Christ. And you have fallen from any grace that you may be eligible for. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Notice, what matters is not just faith, it's faith working through love. In other words, <laughs> the motivation of your faith has to be in alignment. You can't just have faith. Matter of fact, it, maybe it's even impossible to have faith if you don't have love. Maybe love is a requirement of faith. I don't know. I'm just thinking this through right now. Because if Jesus is love and you believe in Jesus, then... If you have faith in Jesus, then you have to have faith in love. And so it seems to me that you have to have love in order to have faith. You, want, you know, faith can't exist without love. I guess that's what I'm going to conclude. Maybe I have to look at that a little bit more. Let's go down here. Verse 13. It says, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. You have freedom in Christ doesn't mean that you should just go willy-nilly and do whatever you want to do and just let the flesh run wild, is what Paul is saying. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard this time and time again from the time we were little kids until now, but it, it, you can say it a million times, it doesn't make it any less true. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. You have to do it. I mean, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. If you bite and devour one another, you will be consumed with, with paying back, getting revenge, and it's, things will just escalate, and you'll be consumed, and you'll be good for nobody, for nothing. The spirit versus the flesh. Verse 16, I say then, walk by the spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. He says, so I say then walk by the spirit, and you will certainly not be carried out. Uh, you certainly not will carry out the desire of the flesh. How does one walk by the spirit anyway? You know, for many years I had this question. How does one, what does it mean to walk by the spirit? Well, there are certain manifestations in your life if you're walking by the spirit. It says, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't, uh, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. So these are some of the manifest uh, manifestations of the work of the flesh. 
sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar, anything that resembles those things. Those are works of the flesh. And, and, and Paul is saying these are enemies of the spirit. He says, I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think it's important that the, that the word says that those who practice such things. In other words, it's easy for any of us to fall into any of these things uh, for a time. You know, easy, very, it's easy to hate for a time. It's easy to fall in jealousy for a time. It's easy to have an outburst. But is this your lifestyle? Is this what you practice on an ongoing basis? Is this how you live? I think that's the issue. Is this how you live? Is this normal for you? Selfish ambition, is that normal for you? Is that kind of a, um, a pillar of how you live? Let me, let me go to the Passion Translation just so I can read uh, their translation into these things. It says, the cravings uh, of the self-life are obvious, sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment and others are favored, or resentment when others are favored, uh, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, <laughs> being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all similar behavior. See, those are the things of the flesh. Let's go back to the... Uh, Christian Standard Translation here. And so we're going to drop down to verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. There's nothing that supersedes these things. There's nothing more critical than these things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the uh, Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See? So Paul you know, makes what I would consider a general statement, walk by the Spirit, but then he gets into detail and explains what that means and explains what it doesn't mean in terms that we can all understand. And so we can know whether we're walking by the Spirit or by the flesh by our behavior. Let's go on to chapter 6, the final chapter in Galatians. It says, carry one another's burdens. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken by any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you don't also become tempted. In other words, what Paul is saying, if somebody has fallen into sin or into wrongdoing or whatever, gently restore them. Restore them with the right mindset. Restore them with the right heart. Treat them the way you would want to be treated if you fell into sin, is what he's saying. <clears throat> but he says, watch out. You got to be careful. You got to be strong enough to make sure that you yourself don't fall into the same temptation. This is when you got to really be honest with yourself. You know, if you have a, 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 an over-the-top drinking problem, you know, 
and you're dealing with it, and then somebody falls off the wagon into drunkenness, maybe you're not the one to go to try to rescue that person because maybe you're too susceptible, you know, to fall into the same thing. So you have to be honest with yourself. Verse 2, it says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You know, you, you will fulfill the law, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. In other words, if you do it with gentleness and kindness, which is the way you would want to be handled in a similar situation, then that's what you do. Then it says in verse 3, this is critical. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, what Paul is saying is, if you think you're too good to stoop down and help somebody else in their hour of need, you know, then you're deceiving yourself. (laughs) Then you're just not recognizing your own issues. (laughs) In other words, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. In verse 9, let us not get tired of doing good. Amen. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. That is the critical qualification. We will reap what we sow if and only if we don't demonstrate persistence. If we don't have endurance, see, we must not give up. We must not give up in doing good. No matter what the obstacles or the circumstances, we must not give up in our well-doing. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all mankind, but especially for those who belong to the household of faith. We are to do what we Uh, believe is best for all of mankind. But we are to pay special attention to those in the house of God. We don't don't have to rob Peter to pay Paul, if you will. (laughs) We're to do good to all. But keep a a special eye out for those in the house of God. And in his conclusions, in verse 12, Paul says, Those who want to make good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised. He's back on this. He's 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 making sure that they get this because this is a this is a very critical point. Because if you require circumcision, then what you're saying is that the death of Jesus was insufficient. You're saying that the death of Jesus needed to be augmented with something else. Well, actually, it was augmented with something else, and that was his resurrection. Okay, but what you're saying is that the death and resurrection of Jesus is is insufficient for the task. It needs something else to be completed. And so the circumcision point is critical. He says those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, they are compelling you to be circumcised. But the main reason is so that you won't be um, persecuted by the other Jewish believers who are insisting that you be circumcised. So uh, the only thing that this circumcision is going to do is prevent your persecution from these fellow believers. But it's not going to do anything else. It has no power. It says in verse 13, for even if the circumcised don't, for even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. 
And yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. So I guess it was a bragging port, uh, point for one to say, you know, to be Jewish and to be circumcised. I guess most weren't circumcised. And so it was a point of pride to brag about. And Paul is trying to get across the point that this has no place in the house of the Lord. This is not a requirement. Verse 14. But as for me, this is Paul talking, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. See, the world has been crucified to me. Paul is saying, the world has died to me. The, the world and its desires have died to me through the cross. And I have died to the world, okay, through the cross. He says, because my, my, my priorities are different. My, the way I look at things is different. My perspective is different. I died to those things birthed through the world. My stuff is from Jesus. It's new. It's different. Verse 15, for both, circum for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. What matters instead is that you are a new creation in Christ. It says in verse 16, he says, may peace come to all those who follow the standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. And then he concludes with brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And excuse, how did I mess it up? Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so with that, Paul concludes his letter to the Galatians. And so we see in Galatians, there are many similar themes that we found in his letter to the Corinthians, right? Because these are people and, and they're all dealing with the same issues. And in some ways, I, I kind of sort of sympathize, sympathize with the Judaizers with regard to uh, them requiring of some of the things of their custom in order to, to be a true Christian. You have to remember, if, if you have been, you know, if you've grown up, uh, your culture, your life, everything said, okay, this is what we must do to follow God. And for the most part, all of that gets turned upside down on its head. It's hard to just cut all that off and leave it behind. And so I'm not going to be one that's going to be too harsh on the Jewish Christians because I can certainly understand how that would be a problem for them. But in their heart of hearts, in their spirit of spirits, when they really sit down and think about it and whatnot and have a face-to-face -face with the Lord, they have to conclude that Paul is right. You know, because in insisting uh, on, um, on having this criteria, then you are, in fact, diminishing what was accomplished at the cross. See, the cross is sufficient for all and for all time. Nothing else need be added to it. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the death, took on the sins of the world, buried, descend, buried, descended into the depths, and then rose again, proving his mastery over death. And therefore, everybody who would believe on him can rise with him. When we die to ourselves, when we die to the priorities of the world, die to our selfishness, live for Christ, live for God, then we rise with him. We have the power to overcome our circumstances. The death, burial, and resurrection, and then eventual ascension was all that was necessary. Nothing else is needed. But to make oneself eligible, one has to answer the call.
do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That he is in fact the son of God. That through him and only through him can one have entrance into eternal life and be saved. The word says all one needs to do is believe in one's heart sincerely and publicly confess with one's mouth that Jesus is in fact Lord. Then you will not be put to shame and you shall be saved. Make that decision. We are done for the day. Tomorrow we'll pick it up in what's that, Ephesians? I guess Ephesians is the next book. Yep. We'll start our journey into Ephesians. Be blessed. Stay safe. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he bless us with another day of glorious life, we'll see you for the next episode in the Word Encounter tomorrow. Bye-bye.